What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, week six, in the books. I think six ranked teams lost on Saturday. A couple more went to the brink. Um, Daniel, we got to start. Red River, man. Nine times out of ten, it delivers. And uh, last year was the exception. This year, it delivered. Um, Oklahoma 34, Texas 30. Oklahoma, I think they're for real. Yeah, we were concerned coming into the game. Uh, at least, you know, we we didn't know. We knew that Texas had proved themselves to this point. Um, and, you know, we knew that this is a different Oklahoma team than they were last year. Um, obviously Dylan Gabriel didn't play in the game last year. So him getting to play in this environment, he was player of the game, uh, by far. Cause I mean, you talk about, you know, his passing day, yeah, 285 yards on touchdown, but running the ball 113 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, he just had kind of it all working. Um, and you know, he's just, a difference maker uh, kind of moved the offense, but it was, it was just interesting watching uh, these two really jockey for position. Cause at one point I felt like Oklahoma might run away with it. And then Texas kind of clawed their way back and then made it a game. And, you know, Texas was right there in the end. And obviously they go ahead I'm like, all right, well, Texas, the better team, better team is going to win, you know, and then sure enough, Oklahoma said that's absolutely true, and we're the better team. We proved ourselves, and they got their way down the field, and you know, uh, hit Nick Anderson for a three-yard touchdown in the game. Um, Fifteen seconds left, I should say, but yeah, just a, a hard-fought game. I don't think this hurts Texas in any way, as far as playoff picture, so long as they take care of business the rest of the way. Um, and yeah, I don't see how there's any way we're not seeing these two rematch in the Big 12 championship. Yeah, Oklahoma got round one. And, you know, I tweeted today, if I were ranking the top 10 teams, I would have Oklahoma three and Texas four. Um, I'm not going to ding a team for losing by four in the last second, like <laughs> last second play. That, that to me was, uh, from what I've seen this season, two top five teams. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma uh, played their best game of the year. I mean, they played with their hair on fire. Brent, um, Brent Venables coached the game of his life. Dylan Gabriel played the game of his life. He was he was unbelievable. He was way better than I thought he was going to be. Um, now for Oklahoma, they got to go finish the drill, like go win out. Um, mm-hmm. Same for Texas. Texas, you beat Alabama, you got your mulligan. So uh, that was their mulligan. For both these teams, every goal is still ahead of them. And I'm with you. I think we're going to see a rematch of these two teams in the Big 12 championship. I, I was impressed with, we talked about winners first, so Oklahoma, congrats. Um, I thought that Quinn Ewers responded extremely well after the two early picks. Like to throw the two early picks and then come back and go 31-37 for 350 and a touchdown. Um, that was, I mean, that was pretty incredible to respond right. that way. So. I hope for his sake he can put it all together. Um, go be a high draft pick. But uh, best is yet to come for both these teams, I think. So fun round one. 
I'd love to get a Red River at some point. The whole thing just looks unbelievable. Um, I want a corn dog at nine in the morning, you know, oh, at yeah. Texas State Fair. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything more American than that? I don't think so. Uh, You'd be hard pressed to find something. So. Another noon game between two ranked matchups, two ranked teams, rather. Missouri and LSU, LSU 49, Missouri 39. I've never been more mad with a front door cover <laughs> um, that LSU got. Uh, I picked Missouri outright. It looked really, really good early, and it fell apart at the end. And then, of course, the pick six just, I mean, just slammed the door for a cover there. So LSU wins and covers, but. Daniel, I just walk away. I think LSU at this point in the season, they know who they are now. Like the defense just isn't good enough. And they know they're going to have to go score 49 every game to win. And they've kind of turned Jalen, um, Jaden Daniels loose. Yeah. And they're like, all right, go score 49. And he's played like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So I think this team knows their identity now, which, if anything, that's a good thing moving forward. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> there is there is comfort in that, at least. Um, I think, yeah, I'm with you, man. This was frustrating because, you know, we picked Missouri. You obviously had them outright win. I kind of thought LSU would backdoor their way into a win. Um, so all the way up until that pick six at the very end of the game, I felt okay because I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to get the pick right. I'm not going to get – this right, but at least I got the pick because of the the points. Um because that seemed obvious to me. And then of course it was until it wasn't that last pick six by Major Burns. Great job there by him, but you know, it's glaring that you know, this team, LSU, they can't, you know, we'll we'll talk in the offseason about the you know what <laughs> roster construction, things like that, but this continuing, this is what their second year in a row of going to the transfer portal, bringing in three to four transfers to play defensive back. That's just not LSU style. I know that's a quick fix, but you really have to develop chemistry in that secondary and you have to have some continuity. The secondary is very similar to the offensive line in that there's not only strength in the talent, but strength in the amount of experience and time guys play together. And so continuing to bring in, you know, several from, you know, several different teams, that's just, I don't think it's a recipe for success. You saw it today with, or, you know, with on Saturday with, with what Mizzou was able to do through the air. Um, Mizzou had 527 yards of offense. Now LSU had 533 but we're expecting LSU to do that. Uh, LSU also counted on two Mizzou turnovers. So uh, just something to keep in mind. Mizzou, I mean, I'm impressed with them, uh, even in the loss. So keep it up. Uh, but, yeah, LSU, we'll see how they go the rest of the year. But, I mean, when they play, like, Alabama or, you know, next week against Auburn, they're going to have to – they're going to have to still score this much against no matter who the opponent, like you said, it could be, they can't overlook any one team. So. Yeah, absolutely. So 
LSU wins there. They move on. They got Auburn next week. Uh, I want to quickly mention UCLA. UCLA has got a defense, Daniel. Um, not something Chip Kelly super well known for. Obviously, he he was known for his offenses at Oregon and kind of revolutionizing college football offense. But UCLA's built a defensive team. They held Washington State to by far their worst performance offensively of the season. They've done that several weeks in a row now, and they're kind of feisty. Yeah, seven of those 17 points were actually a pick six. So there's only 10 points given up by the defense. So good call there. I think UCLA definitely emerging under Chip Kelly. I mean, people have been kind of keeping an eye on it for a little while now, but he's probably basically doing to them what he did to Oregon, just he's manifesting, you know, lines of scrimmage instead of, you know, that Oregon speed. So and the defense is good enough to give Dante more time to get up to speed. They, th- I mean, he threw the ball four to three times on Saturday, and again, I think the gift it's a, it's good complimentary football. The defense is good enough to allow your freshman quarterback time to like get up to speed because he high ceiling player, low floor right now as we've seen. But watch out for UCLA rest of the way. It's going to be a sneaky team that can. Uh, I think mess up some of those other top contender seasons this year. Heck, they can find they could find their own way playing for a Pac-12 championship. So, I think that's the kind of ceiling on that team. Alabama twenty six, Texas A and M twenty. I took A and M straight up in this game. Wrong call there. Um, Alabama. I say similar to LSU, and that I think they found their identity here. Um, Jalen Milrow had a like a really good game. Um, didn't carry the ball as much as he thought, as much as I thought he would. A&M, man, is just <laughs> poorly coached. Um, I did think that, I, I hate people say this, I think A&M lost this game more than Alabama won the game. Obviously, a team has to win, a team has to lose, but A&M, they, this wasn't the biggest gift wrapping of a win this weekend. We'll get to that. Um, but, it was up there. Uh, just just a poorly coached team. Um, not impressed. I thought their front four would get a lot more pressure um, than they did. And A&M ended up having to use the blitz to get pressure, which that's game over at that point because then there's less guys to cover. So that's why I thought A&M would win was if they can get pressure with four, they can drop seven in coverage and uh, make Jalen Miller beat you with his arm. But uh, they couldn't get pressure with four. So unimpressed and... Impressed Alabama was able to go in. I thought that was their toughest game rest of the way. I kind of think Bama wins out, but I'm also, with LSU kind of figuring out their identity, I'm like, can they stop LSU from scoring 35? I don't know. I'm looking forward to that now, rest of the way. But uh, I did say this was their toughest test, kind of rest of the way. I, I still stand by that to this point. Yeah, especially line of scrimmage. We'll have to see what LSU ends up being able to bring you know, they always get up for that game. So that'll be interesting. But Jermaine Burton um, is my big takeaway for Alabama. He seemed like he kind of had to break through game, something that he's kind of been waiting to have since he transferred over there from from Georgia. Um, so he had a multi-touchdown game. Uh, so had a good game overall, 197 yards uh, receiving on nine receptions. So, Big game for him. 
Jalen Milrow, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's very much like they know what they have, and so they're just going to do their best with what they have. And, you know, they're still a tough out. They're still a good team. They're not what other Alabama teams have been in the past, but they don't necessarily have to be to win the West. And, you know, give Georgia a game. We'll see what happens uh, as, as, we, as we continue to go through this season. That's where we're headed for sure is a, a Georgia Alabama matchup in Atlanta. And I do think that a running quarterback, like with this style of offense, can give Georgia trouble. We saw it with Auburn. So I keep that in the back of your mind moving forward. Um, let's go ahead and talk about Georgia. Uh, welcome to the party, Georgia. This was the ceiling that we thought this team could have Georgia 51, Kentucky 13. Whether or not you thought Kentucky was a top 25 team. This was the best team Georgia faced to this point. And I mean, this was just a splattering from start to finish. Georgia started fast. They, they scored on their first six drives. I think it was. Um, yeah. And I think my biggest takeaway is Carson Beck. There's not, I can count on one hand, the number of quarterbacks who are playing as good as him in the country right now. It's, it's kind of been real quiet that he's played that well. Yeah, Georgia didn't punt until they took Beck out of the game. So, um, he, I mean, that second half of the Auburn game, he really kind of emerged and kind of, you know, surprised. I don't know if he necessarily surprised, but, you know, there was questions about him up until that point. He kind of proved himself on the road at, you know, against Auburn last week, coming in this week. I mean, the big question was, can they start fast? Like you said, uh, and then they come out their first drive, go down and score on a 40-yard touchdown pass to Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. So a very impressive um, drive, uh, followed up with another, you know, touchdown drive, which was aided by um, Kentucky penalty. Um, but, yeah, Georgia just – this was the first game that they dominated completely um, outside of one of the, you know, the small teams that they played between UT Martin and Ball State, those teams. This is the first, you know, obviously the first SEC team that they they handled. The first two, uh, they didn't score more than 27 points, and they, you know, against Auburn gave up 20 points, against South Carolina gave up. 14 points and we're actually trailing at halftime. So this one, there was never a doubt. Kentucky ranked team. Georgia did what they had to do. Uh, Kendall Milton wanted to call him out. First game that he really looked comfortable and healthy so far this year. That I know he's been held out of a couple of games and the games that he's played, he's kind of looked just a little bit hesitant. Um, and that's really noticeable for Georgia because Dejan Edwards, we've, We've noticed he's been obviously a, a good back for them, but usually Georgia's got two, three guys that they can use, and they're kind of thin at the position right now. Got guys who are injured. They're using some walk-ons as backups. So um, if Kendall Milton gets going, I mean, that could be, you know, kind of all she wrote for the offense. Defense, I think, is improving for Georgia. But I, I can't believe I've talked this long without mentioning Brock Bowers. Um, just elite. Just Elite of the elite. Best player in the country. I mean, what is three straight 100-yard games? Um, yeah, he's just – he's unreal. So, 
Um, he's going to start actually getting probably Heisman Heisman talk, which as you should, I, I'm I'm here for it. You know, he's premier player in college football, so uh, he's definitely someone that <laughs> you want to watch. So um, he's anyone, always always open. Is anyone as good at their position as Brock Bowers is in the country? I don't think so. I mean, you probably first one that comes to mind just because of position is like Marvin Harrison maybe is up there, but I just think Brock, like if you're talking about, I think there's people closer to Marvin Harrison than somebody close to Brock as, as far as, you know, at the tight end position, I don't know who's number two necessarily uh, and how close they are. A, a real conversation that you could have, and this is why, this is this is how good he is, is, is he the best tight end ever? And the fact that you can actually ask that question and start to talk about names that compare him to tells you how good he is. Like, mm-hmm. Bud Elliott talked about this, and he mentioned a few names like Jeremy Shockey. Um, oh, who is the big Iowa one that played forever in the NFL? Um, I know it. There's been a lot of Iowa tight ends. But there's one. I was like, he mentioned that was like, I'm not going to waste time on this, but point is he's really good as a college football fan. I'm enjoying watching him. And uh, someone who's grown up a Georgia fan, obviously fun to watch. Number 19. Louisville. Daniel, I picked three underdogs to win outright. I got one of three, right? You know, throw something on the wall. Hope it sticks. No, I really, I really did believe all three. Underdogs would win. All three had a chance to win, but Louisville got it done. Louisville not only beat Notre Dame, they dominated Notre Dame. And yeah. My biggest thing going in is was Notre Dame had played two really physical and hard games in a row that came down to the last play. Now they're on the road. They're another team's Super Bowl. Again in a ranked matchup. Again in prime time. And they have USC next week. So they were bound to lose at some point um, with also Ohio State. But this was just, this was screaming upset alert to me. Um, it's just difficult to do what Notre Dame just did. Like Notre Dame gets a lot of crap about their schedule all the time. But this has been one of the toughest four-week stretches in the country. Like, they don't have an easy schedule this year. Yeah, I um, I think Louisville did a couple of things on this. I think it was they validated they needed this win specifically to validate themselves this season because they don't play Florida State or Clemson and on this schedule. Um <laughs> but I just it's just surprising to me that in year one of a coach they could do something like this. Or I, I know it's just six and no they haven't done anything crazy crazy yet, but I mean, the way this game felt, it just felt like, oh, yeah, like Louisville is not scared of Notre Dame. They're not timid about it. They, you know, I just manhandled them, basically. And then by the end of the game, you're like, oh, yeah, this Louisville is the better team. There's no, oh, but they got this call or they got this, you know, whatever. It was like, no, no, no. Now, granted, Notre Dame had five turnovers, but – I mean, Louisville Fort was forcing them just as much as Notre Dame was giving them. So, um, 
I I think this was a a big one um, in in many ways for Louisville more than just kind of that surface of is a big you know ranked win beating a top ten team um, on your home field your fans get to rush the field it was it was more than that so uh, it's also somewhat of a regional regional rivalry to it um, so yeah that's a a big apparently there's a big Catholic community in Louisville, Kentucky. So there's actually a big contingency of Notre Dame people there. Yeah. I heard some Louisville people talking about the fact that that was a, like they see that as a rival, which is fun. Yeah. Um, All right. Two more games. One, I think the majority of people fell asleep, but USC one by two. Um. <laughs> Uh, this defense is not serious. And also, another coaching blunder. Jed Fish did not know that you could go for two in the first overtime. He said if he, he would have known that, he would have gone for two. And then, in the second overtime... I didn't hear that. That is he had to go for hysterical. two, he said, oh, I thought you could read his lips or something. It was like, I thought that was the next one that you had to go for two. Second every time, he also thought you had to kick a field goal. So he said if he'd have known, because, yeah, when you're on the road and you're an underdog and you get the ball second in the first overtime, you go for the win. Like you just (laughs) – You don't let let the more talented team hang around. That's giving yourself more chances to lose. Um, But, yeah, my biggest takeaway is this defense is not serious. And Lincoln Riley said the defense – I need to pull up what exactly he said in this press conference. Basically, he defended the defense. It was like, we're where we want to be on defense. Um, I'm just like, it's indefensible. It's I even defended like year two of Alex Grinch in Oklahoma saying like they're getting better. Um, this defense is not serious, and I am not taking USC seriously as a title contender. Yeah, Arizona, 506 yards. Um. 28 first downs. So definitely a um definitely a big eye opener for for USC. Um I guess for their benefit, you know, probably most people who watch games, you know, for the uh committee, which you know, they haven't convened yet or anything like that, probably were not staying up to watch this game. And it just still counts as a, a win for them. So it's not going to hurt them too bad. Um, yeah, I was in and out of sleep trying to hang on and watch this one. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm impressed with their Arizona for what they did. But at this point, I mean, USC plays Notre Dame next week. Notre Dame's offense has looked questionable so far. I wonder if they are able to open it up and look like you know, the Dallas Cowboys or something next week. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, <laughs> um, we can't get out of here without talking about, I tweeted this is fireable, and I stand by that. I'm not saying they should fire Cristobal for this, but like when you make this big of a mistake, because Miami had the chance to stand defeated, which means every goal is still ahead of you. You've now lost that because Miami had the ball with under 40 seconds left up three and 
could have kneeled. If you didn't see it, go watch it. I'm sure you have, but Miami fumbles instead. Georgia Tech gets it and goes on the field in like 20 seconds and wins. Um, this is inexcusable. There, there's nothing you can say other than it is the biggest coaching blunder I've ever seen since watching football, except for the fact that this is the second time he's done it, Daniel. He did the same did he do thing it in Oregon? at Oregon against Stanford in 2018. And the same result happened. Yeah, this is this is tough. I'll say, you know, uh, Georgia Tech. So to contextualize this game, aside from this one play, this was three nothing at halftime. You know, Georgia Tech came ready to keep this keep this game close. Um, they get up uh, on on Miami in the third quarter, and it kind of feels like, oh, okay, like. You know, Miami's on upset alert. Miami takes the lead late, and it's like, okay, this seems over, done with. Again, like what you said, they just need to run the clock out. Um, and by run the clock out, we mean knee, take a knee. That's how you run the clock out. Don't actually run the ball. This is like you're playing a video game, and, you know, like the Madden rules people that just, hey, if you want to just win the game, just – the timeouts are it's over the game is over there's nothing else to play for but uh credit to georgia tech for you know playing until the very end of the game uh it did take kind of a miraculous situation you know the fumble wasn't the end they had to then make two you know crazy long touchdown or long passes to to score a touchdown and to you know dash miami's hopes crush their dreams but yeah this was I mean kind of insane Kyle Van Dyke had three picks in the game uh he, the broadcast didn't really know what to quantify after the game was over because it was kind of like they were like wait a second why are they doing this what happened what should we even talk about you know people were saying like should Miami have even been in this position they should have put George Tech away a while ago uh it's like you could say all those things, but it really just comes down to it's it's a win. You just got to take a knee, you know. So um, I, I've even seen on Twitter someone had a video on, um, oh, gosh, uh, Alex uh, Mirabal, the, uh, Mir- uh, the, the offensive line coach, uh, Mirabal. Um, Anyways, they got his his him saying just take a knee, just take a knee. They got his his face saying that to the to the offensive coordinator and to Cristobal multiple times on third and fourth down. Um, and so yeah, it's kind of ridiculous that that occurred. But I guess on second and third down, whatever it was. But yeah, that's that's unreal that it got to that point. Uh, but. I'm not upset about it because I told everybody that Georgia Tech was going to win six games this year, and they blew that one last week to Bowling Green. So, you know, wins a win. They get to six wins. I get to say that I was right. So I appreciate it. I also did reference the Miami game before the year. I said, hey, Georgia Tech's probably going to win a game they're not supposed to. This is the definition of that. First of all, never going to forgive you, man. Uh, be sure to follow us 
on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at the Extra Point Pod. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Deep South Daniel. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Carnes with a K. That'll do it for this edition of the Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob. Carnes.